0: And back with the Insurance and Injury Law Show for another day. Uh, you know the number by now. It's one 888 9646 Help at the insurancelawyer.ca is the email. Lots to cover today. A bunch of emails, questions. Fellas, we always start the show with the week that was James Savan. Um, who's taking the lead? I'll take the lead, John.
1: I want to talk about a case uh, out in BC that happened earlier this year. It wasn't one of my cases, of course. But it was a really important case for anybody who has a long-term disability claim, and here's why. The first thing that you have to understand when you purchase a long-term disability policy, your insurance company owes you what's called a duty of good faith. They simply put, they have to treat you fairly. And one of the biggest things that we see, one of the ways that insurance companies do not live up to that duty of good faith most frequently is when they are assessing the claims, they will put too much reliance on what their own doctors say and ignore what the claimant's own doctors, their treating doctors, are saying. Now, yes, they are entitled to rely on their own doctor's opinion, but only to a certain point. Always keep in mind that a treating doctor is... Um, in virtually every case going to be in a better position to make an assessment. But the point is, what this case decided is that if an insurance company unreasonably relies on their own doctor's uh, viewpoints, where it's clear that their doctor is either saying something that is inappropriate or you know a, drawing a conclusion that is not there to be drawn based on the facts, and they are ignoring what the claimant's doctors are saying then the court is going to hold their feet to the fire. And what that means is that in those cases where insurance companies do this, the insurance company is going to wind up paying not only what they own benefits, but they're going to have to pay punitive damages and also uh, damages for mental distress. So they're not allowed to do that, and we see it all the time. And if you're wondering, well, why is it that they're doing it all the time if they're not allowed to do it, and if they do it, you know, they wind up having to pay all these damages over and above all this money, over and above what they owe under the policy. The reason for is very simple, because they know that when they do this to most people, when they deny claims, even when they shouldn't be denied, people don't go see a lawyer. They don't get legal advice, and they don't start a legal claim against the insurance company. So they're never in a position to get that money that they're owed under the policy and the money that they could get over and above the policy for the way they've been treated by their insurance company. So you don't really have to know the case. What you really have to understand is that your insurance company is required to treat you fairly, and when they don't, there is something that you can do. You give us a call, and we can hold their feet to the fire, because they know once we have it, that case out in BC and all the other cases that have been decided recently that say that they have to treat you fairly is going to come back to bite them.
2: John, if I can just add to that, this is it's a very, very important case and a very important point that James is making now, which is something that we see over and over, people who call us because they've been treated unfairly by their insurance company being cut off or denied their long-term disability claim, you know, uh, quite often they think that fighting the insurance company is simply something that is, you know, it's, it's just one of those things of, you know, David and Goliath, you, you, you know, how can you take on a billion-dollar company? How can you possibly force them to pay you what's owed? And the reality is that you know, insurance companies are not in the business of fighting these kinds of claims. Occasionally, they will believe that they can win if they take this all the way to, to court, to trial. But, the, but, you know, for the most part, they're going to try and settle the case. And they're going to try and settle it because they understand that if this case, if your case goes all the way to court, and if a judge does that, that means a lot more money that they have to pay that they otherwise would not have had to pay. So from their standpoint, they're, they're essentially playing a game with you. They're trying to figure out if they can deny 10 people, how many of those 10 people are actually going to stand up for their rights? How many of those 10 people are going to go and speak with James or myself or anyone else that deals in this area of law and tell people the truth, which is that you can stand up for your rights, and insurance companies are not invincible, and they're not interested in fighting these fights. So that's something you have to keep in mind. And again, it goes back to to the point that we keep making over and over and over as well, which is that if you are denied or cut off long-term disability, don't appeal those claims. Okay, we're going to talk about appeals a bit later on the show. We always do that on every one of our shows because many people out there, when they are denied or cut off long term disability, they try and appeal the decision. Appealing the decision oftentimes leads you nowhere because it means that the power, the decision making power as to whether or not you get money uh, for your disability, rests in the hands of the insurance company. And what James and I do and the rest of our team is we actually start a legal claim. We take the power out of the insurance company's hands. So if you're in that situation, make sure to call us, uh, email us, or, or you know, even go to mydisabilityquestions.com and post your question if you have a question about ltd or, or or about shortened disability and we will answer your questions
0: the number as always one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six if you haven't checked it out yet injurycalculator.ca as well as we sit here and idly chat you can check that out we'll get to some more details uh a little later on Savant, question go for it
2: well uh john so just like i mentioned we have that website mydisabilityquestions.com and here's a question that was posted to it by uh Stacey pickering She writes, uh, or she wrote, what if my disability has improved and I would like to try working? Very important question because, of course, we always say on the show that if you're able to work, you should go back to work. Don't just stay on disability for the sake of just getting payments if, in fact, you can work. But, you know, it's a very tricky subject because as soon as you tell the insurance company, your adjuster, that you think you may be ready to go back to work, what they hear in their minds, oh, that's great. This is another claim that we can close down it's another set of payments that we don't have to pay out. And you know when you go to your doctor and you're trying to get uh, a report or, or speak with your doctor about the possibility of trying to go back to work, you again have to be very careful that what your doctor is hearing is not that you are able to go back to work, but that you think that you are in a position where you'd like to try. And that's a very subtle distinction. Again, remember, if in fact you go back to work, or you try to go back to work, and you're unable to sustain that work, meaning you go in for a few days, a few weeks, maybe even a few months, and you find that no, in fact, you were wrong. You are still not ready. Uh, you, you, you're just not well enough to go back. You contact the insurance company. Insurance companies oftentimes will come back and tell you, "Well, I'm sorry. Your doctor said that you are well enough to go back to work. You told us you're well, you know, well enough to go back to work. We are not going to reinstate your benefits." So you have to be very careful in how you deal with the insurance company, what you tell your adjuster, if in fact you are trying to go uh, back to work. And you have to make sure that when you speak with your doctor, that it's very clear that this is an attempt to go back to work and that under no circumstances you or your doctor are saying that your disability is completely over unless in fact it is over. So just be very careful of those situations. And in fact, if you're unable to sustain that work, if you're unable to continue working, after trying to go back and your insurance company refuses to put you back on claim, give us a call immediately and we will help you.
0: Guys, we'll, uh, we'll take a short break. Be right back at it. More of the insurance and injury law shows on the way. The phone number, one 990 9646 Email simplehelp at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll answer some of your emails as well. Uh, right here, Global News Radio. Hang on, Insurance and Injury Law Show, number one 990 9646 email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Before I move on, James, I know you wanted to uh, to make a comment about the case of Stacey, uh, who Savannah was just talking about before we took that break, so go ahead.
1: Yeah, I sure do. Um, Stacy was asking about the impact on an attempt to return to work. A question like this, um, what you realize is that there it's really two different questions. One is what is going to be the legal impact, and the other is what's going to be the practical impact. And you always have to keep both of those in mind. So virtually every disability policy is going to have language in there that says that you're allowed to try to return to work. And if you're not successful, that doesn't preclude you from continuing to get benefits. And the insurance companies want you to try, so they put that language in there to encourage you to do it. So legally speaking, yes, you're still entitled to claim your benefits if it doesn't work out. But the practical impact of it is, as Sivan was talking about, that even though you're entitled to continue claiming for your benefits if you're not successful in returning to work, your insurance company may well try and use that against you. So it's just another point, you know, be careful about when you go back and about how anything is written. Um, talk to your doctors, as Savon was suggesting. It's just important that you understand that there are two things that you're thinking about, the legal impact and the
2: practical impact. And in fact, John, if you can just add one more thing, when you are contacting your adjuster about this attempt return to work, make sure that if it's a phone conversation that you memorialize the conversation with an email, make sure that there is something in writing where you say that you are attempting, that you think that you are somewhat better... Uh, sufficiently so that you would like to try to go back to work, it, it just it, we want to make sure that you're not telling the insurance company unequivocally that you are completely okay, completely better, because I'll tell you, I, I've seen quite a few instances where people have tried to go back to work and after a few days of not being able to function properly have contacted their adjuster and the adjuster says, well, hold on for a second, you just told me last week or two weeks ago or a month ago that you were completely okay that you were no longer disabled, and the individual is telling me that 's not what I told the adjuster. I never told him that I told him that I think I am somewhat better, and you know i 'm not one of those people who just sits on the couch all day. I would like to try to go back, so just make sure that you you know record your conversations if possible in writing by emailing the adjuster confirmation of what in fact was said, what you told the adjuster, and just just so that there's no ambiguity because. If there is going to be a conflict down the road with the adjuster we're going to have we're going to be dealing with two different memories in terms of what the adjuster recollects or what they wrote down in their notes and what you say you said.
0: Get into some questions here as we always do in the show. Uh, we'll go to Jesse first. Jesse says if a doctor specifies on a medical form that your mental health medical conditions are exacerbated through toxic work environment. It recommends you not to return to the workplace. Would this nullify eligibility for LTD in your workplace if you're off on a medical leave but still legally employed?
1: This is actually a really perfect example of what I was just talking about, about the legal impact versus the practical impact. What you need to understand about um, most long-term disability policies is that they are insurance for your disability, not for having a toxic work environment. And so even if you have a very bad work environment that in and of itself is a reason that you can't go back, if you, in theory, were to get a job somewhere else, the same job, and you were able to do that, your policy wouldn't pay you, and that makes sense. It's not insuring, insuring against a bad work environment, it's insuring against a disability. This particular question from Jesse is kind of straddling the line. So it's it's suggesting, Jesse's suggesting that she's got a mental health medical condition that's exacerbated by a toxic work environment. And so the question really is, Is the pre-existing condition, is that something that in and of itself is going to prevent her from working at this point, even if it wasn't before the work environment became toxic? In other words, if this work environment has exacerbated to the point where she now has a general condition that is there no matter where she is, that would be enough to qualify. That would be sufficient that you would be able to receive your benefits. But if it's a matter of, you know, it's really just the work environment that's exacerbating it, and when she's removed from that, you know, she becomes okay to work again, then it's a different story. So, you know, you really need a little bit more information on this to answer that um, very clearly, but no, a toxic work environment in and of itself won't be enough. There has to be a disability that is attached to it, that um, exists wherever you are, and that would apply in any working situation that you were in.
2: There's another thing that we need to consider here. Again, John, this comes from from, you know, the fact that we have both employment lawyers and disability lawyers at the firm. And, you know, e- even if Jesse is is unable to go on disability because this is a toxic work environment issue, that means that it's an employment issue and therefore one of our employment lawyers would be able to offer some suggestions and perhaps even help them legally deal with the employer. And, and in fact, we do see a lot of people uh, who are sort of caught in between, you know, it's it's a work issue or is it a disability issue or is it a combination of both of them to some extent? And the fact that we have lawyers, uh, you know, that deal both with disability like James and myself as well as employment lawyers, we often strategize because we're trying to maximize the, the compensation that our clients are going to be receiving or that we want them to receive. So if you're in that situation where you're dealing with that toxic work environment but you're also having issues with your insurance company, give us a call because we can help you on both fronts.
0: Short break here. Lots more coming up. Stick around. The number one 990 9646 Email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Answering your questions, uh, we'll get to the injury calculator as well. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's right here on Global News Radio. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, the number 1-888-990-9646 or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. As always, send your emails by. We read a bunch during the show. Savannah James, details, please. Injury Calculator, I mentioned it early in the first segment. And uh, what's it all about?
2: Well, John, the Injury Calculator is uh, it's a free online tool that we had created uh, a few years back, and it's been used literally thousands of times, not just in Ontario, but across the country. And what it does is it allows people who've been injured... Uh, in a car accident or a slip and fall or or really any kind of injury, uh, get an idea of what dollar value they could be looking at in terms of compensation for their pain and suffering. So, for example, John, let's say you're in a car accident and somebody uh, uh, ran into you, and and as a result of that, uh, you broke your knee, for example, and you want to know, you know, what can I be looking at if I start a legal claim uh, for my broken knee? And if you go to the injury calculator, it literally takes takes you... uh, 10, 15 seconds to input a few key pieces of information. And the calculator essentially matches up your injury and the severity of your injury with many other cases out there in Canada where other people have been injured, suffered the same kind of injury. And it tells you here's what courts had traditionally awarded for compensation for pain and suffering for a broken knee. And you have the same thing for a broken arm or uh, you know, a concussion, things like that. One thing to keep in mind, though, is that this calculator only gives you a starting point. It only works uh, by giving you some information about pain and suffering. But of course, if you're injured and that injury affects your ability to work, or, or maybe you now have unexpected expenses, or you have a family member that's been impacted by your injury because maybe they have to work less to take care of you, the calculator can't assess that, which is why... When you get the result at the end of the calculator, you can actually click on a button there uh, for a free consult, and, and that connects you to myself or to James or anyone else on our team, and we can have a conversation about your specific case and give you our assessment as to the kind of compensation you could be looking at, not just for pain and suffering, but other types of damages. Very, very useful. And of course, listen, if at the end, when you get that result in the calculator, you don't want to contact us, just close the browser and uh, that's it, no, nothing uh, to it. But it just gives you uh, free information, you don't have to call us, you don't have to email us, you can just get that information and figure out uh, if in fact you want to pursue that claim.
0: Alright guys, I got, uh, got a question for you here. What happens when a person is denied LTD and they ask their doctor for a note saying they can work, but they really can't? Can you still help them fight the insurance company?
1: Well, wow, that really depends on what's in the note. And this really goes back to what Sivan was talking about earlier in the show. You gotta be really, really careful about getting notes from your doctor when you're trying to go back to work. The language that your doctor uses is really critical. So if that note says that Joe is, you know, ready to try to go back to work, but um, to start with, he needs to, you know, have modified duties where he's not lifting this much or on his feet for more than this amount of time and isn't working more than, you know, three hours a day three days a week for the first week and then you know progressing week over week that's one thing that's you know a nice cautious note that says that you're ready to try but it has a lot of caveats built in in case it doesn't work out on the other hand you know if you're not ready to go back to work at all your doctor says you can't work and you say to your doctor no but i gotta go back to work You just got to write me a note and the doctor says joe is ready to go back to work that's a real tough situation there because that is evidence that is before the insurance company. And even if your doctor was willing to recant that note and say, you know, Joe asked me to do it and I did it as a favor for him, it's still pretty tough because that evidence is out there. And guess what? Your doctor's probably not going to be willing to recant it because he's got an obligation to make sure that anything that he's writing down about you is going to be accurate and truthful. So you're probably not going to have a lot of luck in getting him to even say that this really wasn't how I felt, and even if you do, you're not in a great spot. All of this is to say once again, as Sivan said at the beginning of the show, be careful. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try and go back to work. You should. If you are ready to go back to work, by all means, go ahead and give it a try. Just make sure that when your doctor is providing you with a note, that he or she does so carefully, that the language that they use
2: is very carefully considered. And, and you know, John, one of the things that a doctor can do, we have doctors and other types of uh, health professionals listening to the show, is, you know, first of all, make sure that you don't just write a note for your patient just because the patient is asking you to, to say something, right? I mean, you have to, and this is your reputation, you're the one who's putting your name and signature on that note. So if the doctor believes this person is ready to go back to work, that's okay. But, you know, a safer way of doing things, and I'm not giving this out as legal advice, I'm just saying this would be more helpful if, in fact, the person was unable to sustain work, is if the doctor didn't write, Joe was able to go, or sorry, Joe is able to go back to work. If the doctor instead wrote, Joe is ready to attempt to go back to work. Because now that leaves open the door, if Joe is, in fact, unable to continue working, for the doctor to say, well, he was ready to try, that doesn't mean that, in fact, he was not disabled anymore. So again, words have, you know, they have a lot of weight. And John, we've talked about this a lot uh, in the past. We've talked about this in the context of car accident claims or slip and fall claims where someone is injured and then they're getting contacted directly by an insurance adjuster when the injured person doesn't have a lawyer. And oftentimes, adjusters will want to meet with the individual who was injured and try and get a statement from them. And we've talked quite a lot about why it is that individuals in that situation should not, should not under any circumstances meet with an adjuster without a lawyer present and simply provide a statement and then sign that statement. Because, you know, one word can alter completely the, the, the legal case, the power of the legal case or the compensation that the person can recover down the road, you have to be very careful with these things.
1: And uh, this really goes back to, again, what I was talking about in the last two segments, about the difference between the legal implications and the practical implications. Because you know, as a lay person, you may think that you're ready to go back to work or you may think that you're not injured, but you don't know, you're not a doctor. And if you give a statement to an insurance company that says, oh no, I feel perfectly fine, and it turns out that you're not, Even if the medical evidence supports your legal argument, from a practical standpoint you're in a much worse position because the insurance company will have already assessed that claim and they will think that this is a minimal if not zero case. And when that happens it puts you in a very difficult position because they dig their heels in and makes it very difficult to resolve your case for a reasonable amount before trial. And nobody wants to have to go through that far. So you really have to be careful about what you are saying. And you want to make sure that you have adequate legal representation every step of the way.
0: Short break. Hang on. We got lots more coming up here. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, one 990 9646 is the number. As always, email us help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. It's right here on Global News Radio. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, the number one 990 9646 or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. As always, send your emails by. We read a bunch during the show. I was on LTD for the last year or so, and now I just got a letter from my insurance company saying that they are going to end my payments in mid-November because I'm not agreeing to try and go back to work. My doctors wrote the insurance companies that I uh, can't do my job or any job for that matter because of my conditions. I'm a sales manager for uh, an international manufacturing company that requires a lot of travel, which I can't do because of severe asthma and chronic pain. My pain doctor has ordered an MRI, which will happen in late November, after they're going to stop my payments. But the insurance company is refusing to listen to them. Is there anything I can do to prevent them from cutting off my benefits?
2: Well, yeah, Nicole, so first of all, th- thanks for emailing us. And, and, you know, very sorry for your situation and, and what's happening. Clearly, you you know... You don't need to deal with the insurance company while you're trying to deal with your chronic pain and asthma. Uh, you know, I, I will tell you this. We often find that insurance companies, again, go, uh, to go back to James's original point, fairness. We find that insurance companies oftentimes don't treat individuals fairly. That's not to say that every insurance company in every instance is being unfair. Sometimes they are thinking that they are doing what they're supposed to do, pursuant to the policy. But, you know, in a situation like this, John, when Nicole's telling us that she's scheduled for an MRI at the end of November and the insurance company is not willing to wait for those results and simply are cutting her off now just because she's saying that she's not willing to go back to work now before she speaks with her doctor, as far as I'm concerned, that's completely unfair. And it's unfair because we don't know what the doctor is eventually going to say. And I've seen this before in other circumstances where insurance companies are sort of battling not necessarily the individual, the disabled individual, but you know the process by which this individual is trying to get recommendations from their doctors. You know, doctors are very busy, especially specialists. To get appointments with them takes oftentimes a long, long time. And if okay. if I'm Nicole or or anyone else in, in in that kind of a situation, I would want to see what my doctor is saying before I commit to trying to go back to work. And for the insurance company to take the position that they're not going to let me do that, they're going to hold my feet to the fire and ask me now to commit now to go back, I think that's unfair. So what I would do in the situation, I would contact the insurance company and I would put it in writing to them. I would lay out the scenario and I would tell them that if in fact they cut her off, we are going to start a legal claim immediately against them. Again, this is from, from my standpoint, this is common sense. You know, there are legal technical arguments that we can use here, but there's common sense here, not not only common sense in terms of decency and dealing with an individual who's disabled and, and making sure that, you know, you, you give them the space that they need to get the proper medical advice to figure out if they can go back to work, but they also have obligations under the policy. Obligations, again, that go back to the original point, which is a duty of fairness, a duty to treat uh, the insured fairly. I can tell you that in other instances where I've communicated that to the insurance company, they've delayed their decision to cut the person off. And where they haven't, we start a legal claim, and the adjuster had a tough time later, once the legal claim was in process, explaining why why they would not wait those few weeks until we heard from the doctor. There is no
1: explanation.
2: There's no no explanation. But they will give an explanation. The explanation that they will give is that they think that they've given sufficient time, even though that's... I'm not saying it's a good explanation. What I'm saying is that it allows us to put their feet to the fire when we start a legal claim against them.
1: No, I agree with you. I'm just saying that there's no explanation in those circumstances that they could give that would ultimately be accepted by a court if it ever got that far. And as soon as the legal process starts and it goes into the hands of one of their lawyers, they're going to know it too. The other, Their lawyers are going to take a look at it and realize that they messed up on it. And it would have been really,
2: really easy for them to have avoided the claim. And they'll know it and they pay for it. But unfortunately, and this is, this is why it's good that Nicole uh, uh, emailed us, John, because unfortunately some people out there in that situation would simply uh, give up and tell the insurance company, "Okay, I'll, I'll go back to work. I'll try and go back to work." So you're giving the insurance company, you know, what 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 they're asking for essentially, but you're doing that to your own detriment, and you're doing that potentially against medical advice. And, and you know, again, it goes to the point James made: there is the legal implication, the practical implication here, and the practical one may be that by you trying to go back to work when you are not ready, against medical advice, you could be making your own health uh, much much worse. And it's not fair and you don't have to do it. All you have to do is actually contact us and we will tell you what the next steps should be. You know, people are just amazed by that. They, they assume that when an insurance company cuts them off or uh, denies their claim or, you know, forces them to do something that doesn't make any sense, whatever, whatever that may be, there's a whole slew of those things, they think that they have no options. And that is a myth. They do have
1: options. I frequently get questions from clients um, as they're in the process of um, seeing whether or not they have a claim and you know, we start talking about our retainer agreement and what have you. And they say, but do you, do you think I really have a claim here? My answer to them is always well you know that's what this process is about but if I didn't think you had a claim we wouldn't be talking about the retainer agreement because you know for those of you that don't know we get paid a contingency which simply means we get a percentage of what we recover for you and so we're not going to go ahead with a claim unless we think that there's value in it and that's just common sense we're not going to spin our wheels for no particular reason so when you come talk to us we'll tell you exactly how we feel we'll give you the we'll give you the truth if we don't think there's a claim there We'll let you know that we don't, and we'll tell you exactly why. And if we do, we'll tell you what the strengths are and how we're going to proceed from there.
0: Again, fight for my LTD. If you want to check it out. In the meantime, the phone number one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. Email is uh, there as well. Help at the insurance lawyer. dot Return more of the insurance and injury law show on Global News Radio. Hang on. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six and help at the ca. more of your emails coming up here in just a moment. Uh guys, difference between uh individual disability insurance and group disability insurance. You get that question all the time, I know.
2: Yeah, John, group disability insurance essentially is purchased by businesses. Uh so, you know, in, in many many situations when you go and work for an employer, it doesn't have to be a massive employer like a, like a bank. You know, it, it can be a smaller employer, somebody with, uh, you know, 10 employees, 20 employees, 30 employees. Uh, oftentimes they will have uh, short term disability and long term disability coverage, so that 's group disability insurance individual disability insurance for many people out there who don 't know uh, just basically means that you can go and purchase privately uh, disability insurance and and you know in, in in quite a few instances, you can actually get that on top of your group disability insurance so it 's an added layer of protection or if you don 't have group disability insurance, you again you can just get that privately. And for people out there who don't have it, it's probably a good idea to, to get it. You don't want to wait until you're disabled to try and get it because then you're going to be hitting the pre-existing conditions. There's going to be issues with how much you're going to pay for premiums, etc. So, so that's what that means. You can either get LTD coverage through work if, if your work has such a plan in place or they have uh, an arrangement with an insurance company or you can purchase it privately.
0: Got another email, by the way, it is help at theinsurance lawyer.ca. Rob writes in, says, A few months ago I began blacking out and I've gone to a bunch of uh, different doctors all over Ontario. I'm now being seen by a top neurologist in Toronto and was told that they uh, still need to do more tests. I'm 46 and I've been working as an architect for over 20 years. I've applied for LTD through my private disability insurance that I purchased eight years ago, but they are refusing to approve me because there is no firm diagnosis of my condition yet. I can't see anywhere in my policy where it says that a diagnosis is required. The criteria is focused only on whether I am totally disabled or not, and my doctors are all over the opinion that I cannot work. How do I deal with this insurer?
1: Rob, you are 100% correct. This is not about whether or not you have a firm diagnosis, whether or not you you happen to have found a doctor that has run the right test or not. That is not what determines whether or not you're entitled to get your disability benefits. It's just not. The courts have looked at this issue and have been absolutely clear. The Supreme Court of Canada has said it is not about a diagnosis. It's about your symptoms. It's about what you are actually suffering from. That is the basis for whether or not you're entitled to recover your benefits. And so if you legitimately are suffering as you appear to be, and you are you meet the definition of totally disabled, which does not include any language in any policy I've seen, that requires a specific diagnosis of a disability. Um, it just requires that you are not able to work either at your own occupation or any occupation, depending on the timing. If that is the case, then you're entitled to benefits, whether you have a diagnosis or not. It is very, very clear. So, how do you deal with this? You give us a call and you start a legal claim. It's as simple as that. Because again, the you know the insurance companies have claims analysts that are looking for any way that they can try and cut you off and some of them know very well that it does it doesn't matter whether or not you have a firm diagnosis but they'll still use that as a basis for cutting you off some of them just don't even know some of them just assume that that's the case because that seems to make sense to them for some reason maybe they haven't read the policy I don't know, but it certainly isn't the first time I've seen someone get denied or cut off from their benefits because they don't have a diagnosis yet. I had a case just a few weeks ago where my client had been cut off because she hadn't got a diagnosis and between the time she was cut off and the time we got to mediation, guess what? She saw the right doctors, she saw the right specialist, had an MRI and she had a firm diagnosis. It was actually a diagnosis that had been contemplated earlier But the doctors just weren't sure. And the insurance company still said, well, you know, you don't have a firm diagnosis. It's not an objective diagnosis or whatever language they wanted to use. Um, It does not matter. And once you start a legal claim, it gets in the hands of someone on the other side that knows that very well and knows that they can't keep saying that if they go to court, because if they do, they will lose and they
2: will lose badly. So, no, you're completely right, Rob. The thing to do, give us a call. Let's start a legal claim. You know, John, I, I had a case a few years back uh, that comes to mind because it, it was really one of those cases that just sticks in, in, you know, in your mind. You had this lady who was uh, early 40s and was making over a hundred thousand dollars a year, and just one day, out of the blue, she started having. Uh, these you know intense uh, uh, symptoms of uh, uh, bright lights uh, it would, would just trigger major headaches. She would have memory loss. She once described it to me uh, in terms of memory loss, like you know you're in an office environment uh, with a hundred lights, and slowly all the lights are just shutting down, and that that's how she was experiencing these episodes that she had, and she was seen by. I think 20 different urologists across the province, she even went, uh, you know, she she went stateside to try and figure out what's going on. They did MRIs, CT scans, everything. No one had questioned the veracity of what she was saying. And she was cut off and she, of course, became very, very depressed. So now you have this this, uh, psychological element uh, that is playing into it. And of course, her condition is just getting worse. And her mother is the one who contacted me because she heard the show and I went out there and I met with her and I met with with her mother and they're very, very nice people. And and, you know, the amazing thing to me is when I was looking through the correspondence with the insurance company, it's almost like they didn't pay any attention whatsoever to everything the neurologists were saying. And all of them were saying that she's unable to go to to work. She can't even function at home. I mean, thank God she was living with her mother at, at that point. She had to move in with her. Because she simply couldn't do laundry, she couldn't do anything. And, of course, we started a legal claim. And, John, in, in just over six months, we resolved the claim for a substantial sum of money. And I remember having that conversation with, with, with her mother afterwards, who just didn't understand why the insurance company sort of did this, you know, 180, and decided to pay this huge sum of money. I mean, why? why she asked me, why did I have to hire you to do this? And I didn't really have an explanation except to say that this is what insurance companies do. Unfortunately, they're in the business not of giving you that safety net that you know they advertise everywhere on radio and TV and you know everywhere you they're your best friend. they're going to take care of you when, when things go bad. They are there to make money. And one of the ways they make money is denying claims and hoping that the person would walk away is not going to come back.
1: It's not even really a hope. They're playing the odds because most people do That's walk true. away. That's true. It's, yeah. they, know Statistics. What the, they know what the numbers are. They know some people won't, but most people will just walk away and accept their decision. So, you know, that your client was one of the lucky ones who gave us a call is great. Her most, mother. Or, she <laughs> was <laughs> not going to give us a call. Indeed. Um, but most people, you know, aren't so fortunate or don't realize that they have the basis for a claim. And the solution to that is so simple. You give us a call. It's completely free. The information will not cost you anything other than five minutes of your time. That's it. And if you don't want to go any further than that, you don't. There's no charge for it. There's no obligation. All you have to do is give us a call and that can change the rest of your life, quite literally. That's right.
0: Good advice. Take that number, one 990 9646 and email as well, help at the lawyer.ca. That is directly where we're going after we take a short break. Lots more of the Insurance and Injury Law shows coming right up right here on Global News Radio. one That is always the number to call to get a hold of uh, James or Savan, a member of the team. They'll, uh, they'll hook you up indeed. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is the email. Jamie next up says, uh, my sister has been on LTD for the past one and a half years. And last month she mentioned to her adjuster. That she's going to speak with her doctor about a possible return to work program. She's one of those uh, go-getters, but when she met with her doctor, he said that he doesn't think she's ready yet. My sister is following her doctor's advice, but now the insurance adjuster says that she has to try to go back to work or she'll be cut off in October. What does she do?
1: Well, there's two points I'd like to make here, John. Yeah. The first point, and I, I cannot emphasize this enough, listen to your doctor. Listen to what your doctor is telling you. Your doctor is the one who you consult over any changes in your life that have any impact on your medical condition not your lawyer, not your insurance adjuster, your doctor or doctors, um, your your therapist, whoever is treating your condition. Those are the people that you listen to because they're the ones who have the expertise. So if your doctor is saying you cannot go back to work, it means you cannot go back to work. It's as simple as that. So even if that means that you're going to get cut off your benefits, so be it. We can challenge them and that's fine, but you cannot risk your health for the rest of your life. Because some insurance adjuster that has no idea what they are doing has absolutely no medical training and has a motive to try and cut you off so that they'll advance you know, one small step in their job, um, there's no reason that you should give in to what they're trying to do. You listen to your doctor and we can deal with it afterwards very simply by bringing a legal claim. The other point I'd like to make, and I'd like to, you know, Jamie uh, Jamie has done a really good job here for her sister, and this kind of goes back to what Sivan was talking about in the last segment about the client whose mother had called. Um, It's really, really important if you have someone in your life um, that is suffering, that has a potential legal claim, you can do right by them. Just give us a call and we can give you the information. It's perfectly fine. Again, There is no obligation once you do that. All you're doing is getting information. You can share that with your loved one or with your friend and give them that information. And if they want to follow up on it, great. If they don't, at least they have the information. At least they know what they can do. They know where they stand. And if they want to follow up and get more information, they can. It's no charge to talk to us, either for you or for them. So those are really the two points that I wanted to make here. And Jamie, thank you so much for letting us know.
2: One last point here that I want to make, John, is is the last uh, sentence uh, in, in Jamie's email. My sister is following her doctor's advice, but now the insurance adjuster says that she has to go back to work or she'll be cut off. You don't have to do anything of the sort. If the insurance company tells you that you have to go back to work, you simply, it's not true, you don't, unless, there's only one exception, unless you really are not disabled and you can go back and your doctor says you can but again people there are out there and i don't blame them they're told they're being told by the adjuster you have to do this you don't have to do that for the points that uh, for the exact reasons that that you know james made but again, you know people are are, are are being provided this black and white uh, set of options, and that's not the case. And if you have any questions on that, you make sure that you give us a call. so we can tell you in fact, what your rights are and whether or not you have to follow what the adjuster is saying. The one thing I would add to that
1: is if your adjuster has used that language, um, or your sister's adjuster has used that language, saying that she has to go back to work, or she will get cut off, or she will get cut off. Very important, especially if that was a phone call. That, as we always talk about on the show, that you memorialize, that you put it in an email, and send it back to the adjuster, and in doing that, the adjuster is faced with the language that they've used, and either they'll back off of that statement, realizing that they they just can't say that. Um, in which case, great, now you're in a better position or they'll say nothing, in which case at the very least, even if they stick to that position, now they're stuck with it. Now there's a record of it and they can't deny that they've said it because you've put it to them and they haven't said anything about it. So there it is in black and white.
0: You guys, uh, or at least you deal with other types of insurance as well, like uh, critical illness insurance. What is that?
1: So critical illness insurance is actually you know, sort of the opposite of what I was talking about before where you don't need a specific diagnosis for your long-term disability. Critical illness insurance works actually just the opposite way. It's the one policy where you actually do need a specific diagnosis. And what happens is you purchase this policy for however much you want to. There's different levels and you can get it for almost any amount that you like. And if you are diagnosed at some point while you're covered under the policy um, with any number of specific diagnoses that are set out in the policy, sometimes there's you know 15 or 30 in that range, whatever it is. If you are diagnosed with one of those conditions while you are insured, then you get paid out one lump sum for the entire amount of the policy. So if you have this insurance and you get this specific disease or condition, then you get paid out. It's as simple as that. So in critical illness, the diagnosis is actually very important. Um, but for long-term disability, it's just the opposite. You're just worried about the your function, your symptoms, and how it impacts your ability to work.
0: MyDisabilityQuestions.com, FightForMyLTD.com. But before we go, uh, Savannah, give it to them again, the Injury Calculator. They need to try this.
2: Yeah, it's it's an amazing uh, online tool uh, that will allow you to understand and to get an idea of what kind of compensation you could be looking at for your pain and suffering if you've been injured in a car accident, in a slip and fall, uh, in any, any type of, of accident really you know you want to know what what is what is the starting amount like what what are you looking at from a range standpoint you know you, you got a concussion or you have a bad back now you are unable to work what can you be looking at for, like as as a as a dollar value for compensation if you go onto that uh, online tool uh, and and you just input a few key pieces of information about the type of injury that you suffered when did you suffer it uh, the severity of that injury that calculator will will give you a range, a dollar value range of what it is that you could potentially be looking at if you start a legal claim. Again, it's a starting point. I want to emphasize that. And at the end, uh, you know, when you get the result, you can click uh, a button there to get a full consultation with us, which of course is absolutely free. If you don't want to do that, just close your browser and that's it. You just got the information that you were uh, going there to get. But if you want to have an idea of what it is you could be looking at as a starting point, Go to the Injury Calculator and uh, it's literally will take you 10, 15 seconds.
0: Again, something you should use if uh, if only for interest's sake, InjuryCalculator.ca. You want to make a phone call anytime, 1-888-990-9646 and email us help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Some good stuff today again, fellas, and we'll, uh, we'll convene again here on the show next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, right here on Global News Radio.